Uh, so the Bible reading today is 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 to 11, and that's in either page 809 or 1147, depending on your Bible. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you, Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So shall we pray. Father, thank you so much for this uh, word from 1 Corinthians. Uh, It uh, encourages us, it challenges us, it changes the way we think, the way we, our attitudes and the way we behave. Uh, We pray that by your spirit it would do that for us this morning. Uh, We pray also for the wonderful children uh, of our church and for their nourishment as they have kids' church and as they get into your word and um, that you would make it real for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great benefits that we enjoy uh, living in Australia is a well-developed legal system, Uh, not just for criminal matters, but uh, for civil matters as well. Uh, Because when uh, two parties have a dispute uh, with one another, the courts are available, if it comes to that. Uh, where a a case can be brought, a defence can be made and it can be decided by an independent magistrate or a judge. Uh, It's not a perfect system, is it? But it's much better than in many other countries where uh, judges are far from independent uh, because of uh, political and, and monetary issues affecting their independence and... Our legal system, it's far better than having no legal system at all where people just fight it out to the bitter end, literally. Uh, For us, if someone does believe that someone else has cheated them, then our legal system provides an orderly, structured and a reasonably fair forum uh, for matters to be settled, Uh, at least uh, if you've got the money to take the case to court. But what if two Christians have a dispute? A a man I know uh, uh, who uh, ran a small business, uh, he was a uh, member of a church and he came to me one day 
because he wanted to tell me that he had done a, a, a job which was his business. He'd done a job for another man who also professed Christ and belonged to the same church. And yet after multiple unsuccessful attempts to receive payment for the job, he believed that the only option now available for him was litigation to launch legal proceedings in the local court in the hope that the magistrate would force his Christian brother to pay him what he owed. What do you think about that? I mean, it is how our society settles disputes. But what about between Christian brothers and sisters? Are there ways in which we should be different uh, in that area? Now, it is really amazing how 1 Corinthians, written a couple of thousand years ago, just speaks so clearly to real-life situations uh, that exist in churches, in, even in churches like our church even now. Uh, it kind of shouldn't surprise us. It is God's word and, hey, the human heart hasn't changed over that period of time. And this was very much the issue that was actually happening in the Corinthian church. Uh, one Christian brother was taking another Christian brother to court. And what we see, if you open up your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is that the Apostle Paul is, is really, really concerned about that. But I wanted to ask the question, what is it that he's concerned about? What aspect of that issue is it that uh, concerns Paul? Well, uh, it's not the facts of the case. Uh, that's not the problem uh, that Paul's concerned about. Uh, he's not really concerned about who is right and who is wrong. Uh, and he's not concerned about making an adjudication on that issue, not here in the letter in any case. Uh, no, there is something which is even deeper than that. Something, uh, the issue of shame. There's something really shameful that's, that's going on here. Um, have a look at verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read those for you again. He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Now, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this world, of this life? Now, just to be clear on this, when the Bible uh, talks about saints, we're not talking about a particular football club. It's not talking about um, a special class of, you know, super spiritual Christians who kind of people that you might see their faces in a stained glass window with a halo around their head. Uh, no, when the Bible talks about the, the word saint, means someone who is set apart. For God and by God. It's where we get it's similar to the word sanctified, actually. And it's a way that the Bible defines Christians. Ordinary Christians, everyday, any Christian, is if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour, then you have been set apart by God. You have been sanctified. You are a saint. Now, we might always, may not always feel like saints. That's because we've got a wrong understanding of what the word saint actually means. 
A saint is any Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. And we see that here in these verses because Paul speaks about the saints in the same breath as he talks about the Corinthian Christians. He says that they are saints. He says you are. Uh, he talks about saints and he refers to them as he also refers to himself. His point being that if two Christians, uh, people who've been set apart by God, if two Christians are having a dispute between themselves, why should they take to the ungodly to decide? Now, again, when he uses the term ungodly, he's not, it's not because of the... Um, he's, not, he's not saying ungodly because of the uh, corruption which was rife uh, in the Roman court system, but because by taking the matter to the civil courts, they are taking it to people who have, been, who have not been declared righteous uh, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why would a Christian do that? Why would you take uh, your dispute with another Christian to someone uh, who is not in Christ for them to decide? Why would a Christian do that? Well, I, I think one reason is because we, we don't understand our identity in Christ and what that means um, for our future. You see, <clears throat> the Corinthians have got it They've got it all the wrong way around. Um, they're taking their, their, their cases to the uh, non-Christians to decide, to judge on, when in fact Paul makes the point here that because they are saints, that one day they will judge the world, which involves judging the non-Christians. Uh, in fact, even... Uh, Paul makes the point, judging angels. Now, what does he mean by that? It's kind of hard to say exactly uh, how we will be involved in judging the world on the day of judgment. <clears throat> the, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't sort of fill in for us all of the details as to what that is going to look like. And I take it that if the Bible doesn't tell us certain things, and that's because we actually don't really need to know those things, but we need to uh, understand that the Bible is saying that we will one day be involved in judging the world. We do see uh, other passages that refer to this in the Old Testament, for example, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, there is a hint of this. Uh, in the Gospels... In Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples and told them that they would sit on 12 thrones and that they would judge the 12 tribes of Israel along with him on that great day of judgment. Uh, in Revelation chapter 20 verse 4, it speaks of those who have been appointed, uh, seated on thrones, judging the world. And there are other passages, uh, for example, 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4, and Jude, verse 6, uh, which speaks about um, angels, fallen angels, uh, who are being held uh, in prison, um, awaiting the day of judgment. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul indicates that 
that somehow that we are involved in that judgment, in that judging of the world. And so therefore, if that is our future, if somehow we are involved in the great judgment that takes place on that day, the judgment of all things, then how on earth can it be that as people who now have God's wisdom in Christ, that we would be incompetent to judge trivial business matters, incompetent to figure out who is right and who is wrong over a business deal about who owes, owes money to who. How can that possibly be? You know, when the uh, congregation member <coughs> told myself and another church leader that he was going to court because the Christian brother hadn't paid his bill, we asked him not to do that. I mean, we can sort it out. <coughs> we can talk to you, we can talk to him, we can get the two of you together around a table over a cup of coffee and we can find out what's going on and if he's having trouble with financially, we might be able to help him out with that. We can, we can pray about it, even if there is a, a more complex matter of legal matter or accounting matter that's involved. We can get some advice as other people in the church that can help us here. We can, we can sort it out. As Christians, we know what's right and wrong. You don't need to take it to the court. You know what the irony was in the Corinthian church? <clears throat> they had made, they'd made this big thing about wisdom, hadn't they? That they really highly valued and they esteemed the, the Greek philosophers and they didn't quite think that Paul was uh, up to scratch in terms of his oratory and his wisdom and yet they are the ones who are outsourcing judgments to the pagan legal system. Verse 4. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. Now, there are two ways that this that verse can be translated. Just understand that, you know, when you're translating from one from one language, that is Greek into English, that sometimes it, there might be two ways that that can be translated uh, in English. Particularly because Greek doesn't have any punctuation marks, doesn't have full stops, doesn't have question marks and so on. Uh, and so there's two ways that that could be translated. Uh, either firstly, as it's translated there for you in your, in your NIVs, uh, it is by way of contrast. Uh, that Paul is shaming them by saying, even the lowest person in your church who has the wisdom of Christ should be able to judge these matters. Or if you're using an ESV, or if you look at your NIV footnotes, the other way of translating it is that Paul is saying, why do you appoint people, so it's a question mark, why do you appoint people who are of little account, who have no standing, who are not recognised uh, in the church to judge these matters? In other words, why are you appointing the non-Christians? So two ways it could be translated, but guess what? Um, both are shameful, aren't they? Both are shameful. Both are shameful. Uh, even worse, I know of a case uh, where church members 
had a disagreement about some church government, uh, governance matter uh, in their congregation and they took the matter, I think it was to the Supreme Court of New South Wales and the judge looked at the case and he decided, this has got nothing to do with me. This has got nothing to do with the secular courts. This is something that the church should be able to sort out and he referred the matter back down to the church. How shameful is that? That even the non-Christian legal system could see that we needed to sort out a matter ourselves. How shameful. Paul's sarcasm is biting. Verse 5, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother goes to law against another brother, and this in front of unbelievers. Now, this in front of unbelievers. Um, there is a phrase we use, um, dirty washing, isn't it? This is hanging your dirty washing out uh, for all to see. And you don't need to go to a court of law in order to do that. I've been involved in a couple of situations where there's been a disagreement within the church, where church leaders have been genuinely attempting to bring the parties together to resolve the differences between the Christians internally and confidentially and then I've read all about it a couple of days later in the Sydney Morning Herald. Because someone thought, well, let's take it to a different court, the court of public opinion. How does that help any non-Christian to be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ? When we should be people who live lives that are so genuinely different that people should be able to see our faith, our hope and our love and the way that we treat one another and actually be attracted to think, well, that person's got what I need. They might actually be attracted and drawn to our Saviour. Now, uh, in saying all of this, I do need to clarify um, that criminal behaviour is different, uh, such as particular types of abuse against individuals and so on. That is different. Uh, these are matters which uh, ought rightly to be reported to the secular authorities, to the legal system, uh, for them to deal with. And, and that is the rightful thing to do. And that's what we would do. But this is talking about a Christian taking another Christian to court over money. Verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Now, I think what Paul's saying here is that you, you don't actually need to wait for this magistrate to make his ruling because uh, there's no we know what the verdict is there are no real winners here nobody wins uh, 
Firstly, think about the defendant, uh, the man who has been taken to court. If he has indeed cheated the other brother, then even if he were to win the case, he has lost, hasn't he? Because he has dishonoured God. Uh, Of course, uh, if he is innocent, then he's also, everyone's lost because there is great damage that has been done uh, to his fellowship uh, with the other man. As was the case uh, with the man who was accused to me of not paying his bill. Uh, Not only was legal action taken, but wrongly so. Uh, The other man did not have a case. The man had been trying to do the right thing all along. And the church leaders could have easily have made that judgment. Secondly, to the plaintiff, that is to the person who is the Christian who believes he's been wrong and has brought the case to the law, uh, Paul says to him something which is very, very radical actually. And that is, why not just drop the case? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? That's terrible legal advice. But this is spiritual advice. It doesn't mean that Christians should be doormats. Um, There are times when it is right to stand up against wrongdoers, uh, especially when the welfare of other people, innocent people, is involved or so that the evildoer will be stopped from hurting other people. However, this challenges us to consider our motivations, to consider what it is that actually drives us in life. Uh, Because we live in a world which is soaked with the message that says that money and possessions are the key to fulfilment in life, to security and, and happiness and so on. And and so therefore we can think of a thousand reasons why we would not rather just be wronged and we would go ahead and sue our brother or sister. But if we intentionally choose not to go down that route, then we show that we are driven by something else. That we trust in a future inheritance to which nothing in this world can compare. And that we follow Christ, who was prepared to suffer loss for our sakes. Um, I know a Christian man who I understand has been genuinely cheated of uh, many, many thousands of dollars and would have a case at law, but he's told me, I'm not going to take that route. Um, he's, 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 he said to me that uh, that's going to damage uh, his own reputation because he knows that the other person will be malicious against him. Uh, it's going to fracture relationships within his family, some of whom are Christians, and it's going to drag the name of Christ through the mud. And uh, so he said to him, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to trust in God to provide uh, for my needs. It's very powerful. And in the case that Paul's talking about here, where a Christian is taking another Christian to court, if they choose not to do that, well, to others who are in the church who are aware of the situation, 
and they witness the example of someone whose contentment in Christ is as such that they are willing to suffer loss rather than take their brother or sister to, to court uh, with the damage that that does to the reputation of the church, with the damage that that does to fellowship, with the damage that that, that does to the name of Christ. And that's a powerful witness. And more than that, rather than further fracturing relationships, it's a bit like, you know how the Bible talks about um, repaying um, uh, evil with good? You know, love your enemy, it'll really mess with their heads because <laughs> it's such a surprising thing uh, to do and it's particularly surprising for the, to, to the wrongdoer. And it leaves open the opportunity to challenge that person about their greed without the threat of legal action uh, hanging over their heads. And yet, repent they must. Now, next Sunday, as we look at the remainder of chapter 6, uh, it's then that I want to spend some time unpacking um, verses 9 through to 11. Uh, and if you were to scan your eyes down through 9 to 11, you can see uh, why that is the case, because they need more time, don't they? Uh, because of what they say about sexual immorality and it's in its various forms. For as it was in the first century in Corinth... So, too, this is the hot topic uh, in our own age, in our own place. Indeed, verses 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, we've been reading those verses in our newspapers lately, haven't we? Uh, so current is this topic. But for today, the topic is greed. One Christian has taken another Christian to court for the non-Christians to judge the other Christian over money. It's crazy. It's bizarre. Their cravings for the things of this world are just so inconsistent with their identity as heirs of a great inheritance, of the eternal inheritance which Christ has won for them as he's also one for us. Verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And in verses 10, he gets specific, and you can imagine some of the people in the congregation in Corinth squirming in their pews as this is being read to them, because amongst other things, amongst other sins, he says that... Neither the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's them. But Paul hasn't given up on them, has he? Uh, he wants them to think through their identity and what that means. Corinth, it was a, a crazy, mixed up, 
messy church because it was a crazy, mixed-up, messy city that, where people had heard the gospel and people had put their faith in Christ and people joining the church and with all sorts of sinful baggage in their lives, including greed. But that is not who they are now. In verse 11, that is who they once were. Every one of them had an invoice that they had not paid. Every one of them had a debt which was outstanding. Every one of them had this, this account, this unpaid account for which they could rightfully be taken to court and the judgment would be guilty. And you and I know that debt well, don't we? It's our debt to God for sin. See what Paul says there in verse 10 and 11? In verse 10, in verse 11, he says, And this is what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The word justified means to be made right in a legal sense. To be made right because the debt that you once owed has now been paid. Uh, This debt was paid in someone else's name. This debt was charged to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was paying my bill at the petrol station, just filled up the tank. I went to pull out my credit card. The man standing next to me went and zapped his card on the pay wave instead of mine. And he said to me, I just wanted to bless you. And that's what Jesus has done for us. The account has been paid. It has been credited to the name of someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his death has washed away our sin, has cleansed our past identity, has made us new, so that by God's Spirit we are now sanctified. We are now saints. We are now set apart, not to live as we used to live, not to live according to the principles and the values of this world, but to be different, set apart to be living God's way as heirs who are fully aware of our inheritance. And so, if Christ has paid that debt for you, then why on earth would you want to cheat or defraud your brother or sister in Christ of money? Why on earth would you want to cheat or defraud anybody? And why would you want to battle it out in court before the unbelievers? Why not? Why not rather be wronged? That's a win, don't you think? That's a great win. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, the great work of Jesus who has paid our account for us by his death on the cross. 
Father, we thank you that because of that, that we are now heirs of a, of a great inheritance. We pray, Lord God, that that would be that, the very thing, the very truth which motivates us in life, that we would indeed be living as sanctified people, that we would be treating one another with the love and the grace by which you have treated us, and that the world would see us and know us by our love for one another and not for taking each other to court. In Jesus' name, amen.